All right, good morning. Let's go ahead and, and get started this morning. Good to see you here this morning. I'm glad that you uh, overcame the the temptation to stay at home because of the snow. And uh, we're praying that each of you make it home safely. Uh, we do want to pray for those who aren't able to be with us this morning. We have several people out, some of our older members who are probably struggling um uh, physically with different ailments, so let's let's pray for them. Um, a couple of announcements before Jared comes to to do our scripture reading this morning. Uh, one, I just really want to encourage. We're we're going to start on April 10th with a, a women's and a men's Bible study, uh, but particularly for you ladies, the the women's Bible study I think is going to be really good. We've got a guest coming in that's going to lead it. It's going to be five weeks, and they're going through the book of Colossians. Um, I, I sent out to a lot of you, I tried to get as many people as I could think of, uh, a link to the, the book that they're going to be using. If I didn't get that to you and you'd like that information, just, just see me. We can order it. If you'd prefer that we order it, just let me know and, and I can order and make sure that you have a copy. If you want to order it on your own through Amazon, you, you could do that. Uh, it's really just a little journal. It's got the scripture on one side and then on the other side, it's got room to, to write and take notes. Uh, and I think she's going to encourage uh, you all to do that on your own. Uh, so that'll be April 10th, and, and I really want to just promote that and, and encourage you to be part of it. Um, for those of you who are um, on the preschool board, we're going to have a short meeting after uh, the service. So let me just remind you to, to stay in the Sunday school room after the service. Jared, you go ahead and come this morning. Before you come, I've got these sitting right here, and I and I forgot to talk about them. So let me just say something about this. Two things about these cards. Um, one thing, if you're a parent, including my own wife and, and me, uh, let me encourage you to, to try to keep your kids from writing on these. We're, we're having to print a lot of these and the cost of, of printing them is, is kind of adding up over time. So I know they make great little things for your kids to draw on, but let me just encourage you to give them another piece of paper or even your bulletin uh, if they want to take notes <laughs> uh, or do artwork or anything like that. If you could just help by by uh, kind of keeping them from, from grabbing those, that would be great. If you're a visitor here with us this morning, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we'd love for you to fill one of these out so that we could get some information about you. Um, and so that, that's there. These take the ne next step cards are not just for visitors though. You might be thinking that a lot of times I feel like people, uh, have something that they like to communicate to us and they just don't have the opportunity to, to speak with us. And so this is just a great way for even if you're a member or a regular attender, uh, get this and fill one of these out. If you've got a prayer request, if there's some feedback, if you want to just say the sermon was terrible and I think you need to study better, you, you can write that on there. Hopefully you don't write that. But uh, if there's information that you'd like to communicate to us, uh, maybe you, you'd like some discipleship or you, some more information about another ministry, you want to be able to serve in some, some role, if you would fill that out and you can leave it in the offering plate when it comes by or at the uh, welcome center there in the foyer. So Jared, you go ahead and come now. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. We'll be reading from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 49. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find chapter 49 beginning on page 570. So 
just a quick background while you're getting there. This is basically uh, this is basically the words of Christ coming to us from the Old Testament. Speaking about the servant of the Lord, it's pointing us forward to the work and ministry uh, that Christ would come to do. So there's a sense in which we're hearing this uh, obviously from uh, Jehovah, but there's a sense in which this is pointing us forward. We're hearing, uh, if you will, sort of uh, Christ speaking from the Old Testament here. So here's what he says. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? Sorry, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Will you pray with me? Father, as we read these verses, we have great encouragement. But what, one of the things that we recognize, God, just at a, at a glance over this text is that this is your uh, this is you prophesying of the work of Christ to gather the nations. God, this points us forward. This prepared the Old Testament church to look forward to one who would come. Lord, one who would fulfill all that Israel failed to fulfill. The ultimate Israel. The, the true Israel. The faithful Israel. The one who would take the light of the gospel to the nations where your Old Testament saints failed to do so. It points us forward to Christ. And so God, it brings to our mind the work of missions. Because the work is not over. Christ has come. He has lived. He has died. He has been raised. And He has appointed His church to continue to, to take His glory to the nations. To continue to pursue the lost. And so God, as we gather here this morning, we want to be mindful of missions. We want to focus on that. We want to recognize that we're still here so work still needs to be done. And so, God, we pray that you would make Union Baptist Church a faithful mission-supporting church, God, that we would support missions through prayer, that we would support missions through going, that we would support missions through uh, paying for others to go, God, and do work that we can't get to, work that we're not called to. So, God, we pray that you would raise up from among us people who are called to missions work. God, that you would raise missionaries up out of Union Baptist Church. That you would call brothers and sisters and burden the hearts of, of our children, God, with your glory, with your renown, with your faithfulness, with your praise, and for the 
hearts of the lost and those who are perishing in their sins. We pray, O God, that you would act by stirring our hearts, helping us, O God, to have zeal where you have zeal and to do what you have sent us to do. God, that we would support missions in every conceivable way. Help us to see how we can be more faithful. Give us a willingness to participate more readily, God. Sustain us in the things that we have undertaken to do up to this point and bless us with generosity of time, generosity of money, generosity of talents, God. Uh, Willingness to pray, to continue to fuel your efforts for your glory so that the nations, the Gentiles, those who have not yet heard the name of Christ, whether domestically or abroad, will hear the clear proclamation of the gospel in part because of efforts that Union Baptist Church has undertaken to support. God, we think specifically right now this morning for Barry Corder and his family as they prepare themselves to go to the country of Georgia. God, surrounded by Muslim nations. God, in the heart of a country that has been warmed over with religion and and are just doing perfunctory religion. They think they're okay because they go to a state church and they call themselves Christians, but God, so many are dead in trespasses and sin in Georgia and the nations around them, God, are under the sway of false gospels. And we pray that you would work powerfully through Barry Corder and his family, Lord, and the, and the, the reaching and teaching ministry that they're going as part of and, and that you would bless them, that you would prepare them, that you would provide for them, that you would send them, that you would plant them, that you would prosper them, God, and that you would provide for them in the place that you're sending them to do this work, God, for your great name, for your glory, for the salvation of the lost, God. We ask these things and we pray your blessings on the Corder family as they prepare themselves as instruments vessels to do the work that you've called them to do. God, we praise you and we bless you and we ask for your anointing over all these things and over our service as we begin to worship through song, Lord, as we worship through giving, as we worship through listening and responding to your word. We ask that you would be pleased and that you would help us in all ways, God, all these things to glorify you through our faithfulness and our thankfulness, Lord, to you in Christ Jesus. And it's through him that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, Jared mentioned in his prayer earlier the Quarter family. Um, Barry and his wife, they are missionaries who are going to uh, the country of Georgia. They were here with us this Wednesday night, and we got to meet them and talk with them and just hear about their vision and what God is calling them to do. And, um, you know, it's just as as you hear about missionaries like that, it's, it's such a challenging thing to think about. Uh, the fact that there there are people who are willing to kind of give up everything, the comforts and luxuries that they have to take the gospel uh, around the world. And so we want to be praying for, for Barry and his family. They're in the process of raising support. Um, and, and we want to pray uh, that, that God would answer that, pray that God would enable them to be able to get to Georgia. And uh, he had a video on Wednesday night that he was going to share with us, and we had some technical difficulties, and we're not able to share it. Uh, but we're going to do that right now. And, um, let me think about how to do this. Let's have, let's have our ushers go ahead and come forward at this time. And I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, we'll show this video, Daniel. Sorry to throw a wrench in the plan. That that's all right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do it this way. Uh, and this is a young lady who was impacted by their, their ministry there in the country of Georgia. And she's just sharing a, a brief testimony. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And uh, we are so thankful for the work of salvation that you've done in our life. We are so undeserving of, 
of the least of your mercies, and, and yet you give them to us, you, you graciously have lavished them on us, and the, the crowning gift is the gift of your Son and the salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. But we know that there are literally millions of people around the world that, that not only have not experienced that, but really have never even heard the gospel and God, we know that you have given us as a church a commission to take the this message of the gospel around the world and not only to us, but but to other churches and to other believers. And so, Lord, we're thankful for Barry Corder and, and for his wife and for their family who are willing uh, to make this sacrifice and go to this country. And God, we just pray that you'd enable them, that you would bless them, that you would meet every need financially of theirs along the way so that they can get there. And then, God, we just pray that you would pour out your blessings on them and allow them to minister faithfully, to boldly proclaim the gospel. God, we pray that you would establish every plan that they that they laid out. They talked about uh, a children's home and working in a, a school and training pastors and uh, just just a lot of different areas of ministry, God. And we, we know that your word says that that the heart of man plans his way, but you establish our steps. So we pray that you would establish the steps of, of Barry and his family, that, that every, uh, that every uh, desire for good that he has would be accomplished through your, your plan. Uh, God, bless these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hi, my name is Anna. I was born and raised in the former Soviet country, Republic of Georgia. I grew up in a um, nominal Eastern Orthodox uh, family. Um, I didn't read the Bible or I didn't go to church. Um, I became a Christian in late 1990s when my uncle shared the gospel with me. Um, but my spiritual growth started in 2006 when I met Barry and Carolyn Quarter and their great children. Um, when we met I was very heartbroken and devastated because my mom disowned me for my faith in Christ. So I was very hopeless and couldn't understand why this was happening in my life. So Barry and Carolyn, they embraced me like their sister and um, they comforted me through the word of Christ. They showed me unconditional love and grace. They they showed me Christ through their marriage, through their relationships, and their parenting. Um, their daily living was so filled with Holy Spirit that I knew there was something special about this family. And God was just working amazing things in my life from the moment we met. So I was absolutely thrilled to hear that Barry and Carolyn are going back to Georgia. Um, my heart is smiling with joy knowing that as my life was impacted um, through them I know that there are so many uh, Georgian families that are going to impacted and blessed through Holy Spirit with the gifts that he gave to Barry and Carolyn um, guys please pray for this couple please support them because I know that the Lord is going to do wonders and perform miracles through this couple um, as a product of missionary work um, as I consider myself I know that there's so many more lives that 
are waiting for the hope that Barry and Carolyn can provide through the Spirit in them. God bless. If you would this morning while they're making their way out, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5 and verse 22. While you're turning there, I want to encourage you. I think I said something along these lines last week, but uh, we've been trying to do just a better a better job at kind of shepherding our, our people. And um, one of the things we've been trying to do is just kind of keep up with who's not here, not because we want to uh, really give them a hard time about that, because we want to love them and care for them well. And uh, so last week, I, th- I think there were probably over 50 people who were not here last week. Uh, and it looks like the same is true this week. I'm sure the weather is playing into that. I'm sure illness is playing into that. We've got some in our own family who are sick uh, this morning. And so not for reasons of trying to pressure people or, you know, just make them feel bad about not being at church, but because we love them and we care about them, there may be something going on in their life. If you recognize that somebody's not here this week, two things that you can do. One, just jot their name down and remember to pray for them. Two, just reach out to them uh, and just let them know genuinely that you miss them, that you noticed that they weren't here, and uh, just check in on them to see to see how they're doing. Uh, let me encourage you to to do that. Uh, we're we're trying to do a better job of that as as pastors, um, but we we you know fifty people are out in one week. Like that's hard for just uh, two or three of us to be able to to reach all those. So we need your help. And that's part of our care for one another within the body of Christ. So let me just encourage you with that. We're moving into the next section of Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and so let's just jump in at verse number 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. So you remember just the setting of what where we're at. We're in the second half of the book of Ephesians. The first half is very much about what God has done for us in Christ. Our, our salvation is not based on what we do in order to be saved, uh, Christ saves us. It's all of grace for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved exclusively by grace. But when we are saved by grace, that grace kind of compels us, doesn't it, to live for Christ. So the second half of the book of Ephesians is since you've been saved, here's the way that you ought to live. Um, One of the words that is used repeatedly throughout the second half of the book of Ephesians is our walk. It's, It's all about our walk, the way that we live. But these are not things that we do in order to be saved. These are things that we do in response to the fact that God has saved us by grace. And we never want to get that mixed up because when we do that, we confuse the gospel. When we do that, we say, I'm right with God because I do A, B, and C. And that's not the way a person is saved. We are not saved by our works. Well, we've seen then that as we've gotten into chapter uh, 5, there there are some very practical things uh, that Paul Paul calls us to. Uh, He tells us to be filled with the Spirit. uh, And this has kind of been a main main theme that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. 
And I really think that all of this obedience that we're called to, it needs to be recognized that we're called to do it not in our own power, not in our own strength, but by the Spirit who lives within us. The Spirit of God lives within us and He empowers us and enables us to live like Christ. So if you're here this morning, you don't have the Spirit of God within you, like you're not going to be able to live out the gospel commands that we're given. Uh, it's, it's fundamental that we have the Spirit of God working within us, that we're filled with and controlled by the Spirit uh, of God. Now, we're getting into this section that deals with sort of the relationships that we have. So uh, the fo- foundational relationship, uh, human relationships that we have uh, are our husbands and wives. This is like a central part, uh, a cornerstone uh, around which everything else in our world is is built. Uh, but but it speaks to husbands and wives, children's and, children and parents, uh, servants and masters. Uh, and then he closes uh, by telling us to put on the whole armor of God. And we'll, we'll get to that. But we just want to begin uh, speaking to wives uh, in particular this morning and knowing uh, I, I was praying with Jared this morning uh, before Sunday school, and I, I just prayed God help us because I know that these verses, that these verses are diametrically opposed to the way that the world is thinking out there. So if you if you accept these, if you accept this revelation as truth from God, and you believe it, and you seek to live it out and practice it, you are going to stand out as strange. In this world, some of you who are just even reading these verses have been so shaped and formed and trained by the world that immediately you read this and you think, wives, submit to your husband. Are we Neanderthals? Are we going back to the Iron Age? Uh, This is crazy. Wives should not submit to their husbands, but that's what we're called to do. Um, And so I just want to spend some time thinking about this this morning. Uh, Three things we want to do. One, we want to see what submission is not. Because there's all kinds of wrong ideas about submission. We want to kind of just safeguard against some abuses of this. And then secondly, we want to think about what submission is in a positive sense and what wives are called to do uh, in, in uh, your, your marriage relationship. And then thirdly, I just want to speak to the men as we close and, and talk about some of the responsibility of leadership. Because if your wives are called to submit to your leadership, it assumes that Right, you're leading in your families, and I, I'm not sure that that's happening to the degree that that it needs to be in so many of our families. So let's just jump in. First of all, what submission is not? You, you see the command, Ephesians five twenty one: Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Let's see what submission is not, and try to safeguard against some uh, uh, abuse. Number one, submission is not submission of all women to all men. It is not the submission of all women to all men, as if women are somehow inferior. You see the command that's given. Wives, wives submit to your own husbands. There's a particularity to this. This is not an inferiority of women in which they must submit to all men. Uh, This is something that is given within uh, the the covenant of marriage. So any sort of male chauvinistic idea uh, that maybe permeated society, other societies or, or our society even now or in the past finds no basis in this 
command. This is not calling for, for women just to be subjugated to, to men in society. Men are not an authority over women. So if there's any sense of that in the broader culture uh, where women are supposed to submit to men, that is not called for here. Men, you, you may be, in fact, in some roles in your life in which you actually are called to submit to women. There are perhaps women in your life who are in roles of authority and uh, you, you should not get from this any concept uh, that would empower you to think that because this is a woman who's a supervisor that you should not submit to the, her. Or because this is a woman who is in a, a political office uh, that somehow that lessens uh, your responsibility to submit to the governing authorities. Or that because this is a, a woman who is in, uh, you know, a police officer that that kind of lowers the expectation for your submission to that authority uh, that that is not the case submission is a gift that wives willingly give to their husbands when they enter into the covenant of marriage and it provides a structure within marriage which allows both the husbands and wives to flourish so that's sort of the first myth that we need to dispel and we need to safeguard uh, that that's not what is called for here. Secondly, submission is not rooted in inferiority. Submission is not rooted in inferiority. This is not because women are somehow inferior or lesser than men. This is just simply a role, a structure, an order that God has given within the marriage relationship to help each of the, the spouses flourish. Women are not unable to make good decisions. They are not unstable. They are not uh, sort of emotionally fragile and, and unable to get through life as, as some people have had sort of the concept in the past. This is not coming from a place of inferiority. In fact, when we look to the creation account, we actually see that there's a strength in women that, that simply men do not have. So sometimes when we read the account in Genesis 2.15, and it says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that men should be, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Sometimes we look at that and we say, see, there's sort of an inferiority, right? Because women are just helpers. Like the man is the one who's doing it. He's the one in charge and, and they are helpers. But, but when you really stop to think about that, that's not exactly the idea that's given there. What we really see there is that, that man is incomplete. God has created this world. God has given man this task of dominion uh, over this world. Uh, and, and when he looks at the man, he says, this is not good. Isn't it amazing that every time God made something in the book of Genesis, he said, this is good. This is good. This is good. But when he created the man and there was not yet a woman, what does he say? This is not good. Not good. God looked down and God knew and was able to see me and Jared and some of these other men here and say, these men, no, this is not good that they are alone. They need help, right? They, they need someone. They are incomplete. They are not up to the task on their own. And that's what we see. If, if you receive 
help from somebody. This is not like, oh, my kid, yeah, I'm bringing along my little helper today. He's really insignificant. I'm doing it, but he's just my little. No, no, this, this is the kind of help that, that we need, say, when I'm working on my car and, and I ask Jay Newton, like, I need help, Jay. It, that's not because he's my helper, my, my little buddy. That's, that's because he knows what he's doing and I don't. Right? There's a weakness, there's a deficiency in me that requires and needs help. That's what we see going on here in the creation account. God looks at man and he says, this is not good. This man needs help. And women are given then as those who are fit to help the husband. They complement one another. Different roles, listen, different roles do not mean inequality in person. When we look again to the the account in Genesis, we see that the woman and the man share in two very important things. They share one in the image of God. Both of them, what, what gives us our worth and our value and our dignity is the fact that we're made in the image of God. That's what separates us from animals and from everything else in creation. These are all good things, but the unique thing about humanity, both women and men, is that they are made in the image of God. And it's not as if men are more in the image of God than women. We are equally made in the image of God. There's no inferiority there. Also, a second important uh, thing that we see in the creation account, this equality, is that men and women are equally given dominion over creation. So, so God does not make the created realm and the, and the woman and say, okay, man, here now you have dominion over everything over the woman and the rest of the creation. He makes the man and woman and gives both men and women equally dominion over his creation. So we see this in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the heavens and over livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There we see both his image is given to to both man and woman, and this dominion is given both to man and woman. So we have different roles. Uh, God has ordered and structured all of creation. God is a God of order, and he has structured these relationships. He's made us different. Listen, men and women are different. The world is telling us that's not true, but, but the Bible is telling us men and women are different, but that does not mean that one is superior and one is inferior, right? We need both. They complement one another, and so we need to recognize that submission then does not come from any sense of inferiority. Thirdly, submission does not mean, and hear me this morning, submission does not mean submission to abuse. Sometimes it has been portrayed as if the Bible tells wives uh, to submit to husbands, even if they're abusive. The limit of submission is that you are not called to submit to something that is wrong in the sight of God or that is legally wrong in the sight of of human government. Wives, listen to me this morning. If your husband wants you to do something or is doing something to you that is a violation of God's law, then you should not only not submit, you you must not submit 
to that. We need to understand that there's a structure and authority, as I've, I've already seen, there's a structure to God's authority. And guess what? Your husband is not at the top of that, that structure, right? You are called to submit to your husband, but he is not the sole authority in your life. There are other authorities that you need to submit to. One is the authority of God and the other is the authority of our government. And so when these things are in contradiction, right? We submit to the higher authority, whether that's the governing officials or ultimately to God. Authority is from God. His authority sets the parameters for all other delegated authority. Your husband's authority is not a supreme authority. God's authority overrides the authority of your husband. Now we all recognize this, right? We know this when it comes to the authority of the government. Romans 13 tells us in other places in the New Testament, submit to the governing officials. But what do we do if the government comes in and says, you cannot worship God. You, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot own a Bible. You can't read a Bible. You can't pray. What do we do? We say, well, there's God's authority and these governing officials and we're supposed to submit to them. No, we say, wait a minute, governing officials, there's an authority that's higher than you and you have overstepped your bounds here. And so as Peter tells the, the leaders there, uh, when, when they command him not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, he says, wait a minute, there's an authority higher to you and, and you can determine whether this is right or not, but, but we're going to do what God has called us to do. And so we, we understand that in, in that role, but we need to understand that in, in this as well. The husband's authority ends where it contradicts the authority of God. So, so if your husband says, like, you shouldn't worship God, you can't go to church, you can't worship God, right? His authority ends because God has commanded you to do that. And you submit to God rather than to man. There's also a recognition that God has delegated authority to other other human beings. And so there's governing officials. It's illegal to be abusive. And so if you're submitting to that, right, uh, th then you are submitting and allowing something uh, that another authority of God has said is, is off limits. So this help us, helps us understand then the issue of abuse. If it contradicts God's law or the law of man in society, it, it should not be submitted to. It's morally wrong. For a husband to physically or sexually abuse his wife, this text is not calling you to submit to that. You should get away from that and you should seek help immediately. I just want to be abundantly clear about this uh, because I think people have abused this text in the past. They have used it uh, in wrong ways. And sometimes church leaders have been silent about these kinds of things. As a result of this, the world is scoffing. This is part of the reason why I said that the world around us thinks that submission is crazy because they've seen it abused over and over again. So, so we don't want to throw out what the Bible calls us to do, but we want to do it in a, in a right way. So it is not a call for us to submit to abuse. Well, let's think then about what is submission. We don't want to just be what it, what it isn't. What is submission? Submission is this. It's willingly out of love for Christ and with confidence in God's sovereignty, yielding your will to the will of your husband. So it's willingly out of love for Christ and confidence in God's sovereignty, yielding your will, yielding your will to the will of your husband. 
Now, one thing I want us to see is here that submission is a, a willing act. This is a command that's given to wives. This is not a command that's given to husbands. A husbands, get your wives in submission. That's not what it's called for. The, the call is wives, submit your, your will. Yield your will. So this is something that is called for that is a voluntary act of love toward your husband. Now let me just say then, wives, if you love your husbands, uh, this is something that will be good for him and good for you and good for your marriage. He is created to lead. He, few, few things, there, there are few things that will stifle your relationship like you trying to domineer over him or usurping leadership in, in your marriage. I know many wives who sim, seem to really want a good marriage. They want a strong marriage. They want a loving husband. And yet they, they kind of want it on their own terms. Like, I don't want to submit to his leadership. I don't, I don't want to kind of give over that kind of control to him. Uh, and, and I think what's happening so often is the marriage is being stifled. The, the very thing that they want, this, this happy, blessed marriage is not happening because they're refusing to submit to this command. I'm not promising here that submission will remedy all of your, your marriage problems, but I will state that God has created your husband to be a leader and to be respected by you. And if, if you encourage that, it will encourage him to be the be- a better husband and to love you more. Husbands, let me say this to you. Th- this is a voluntary act. We've already seen that. So, so this is not to be forced or coerced. If you feel like my wife really does not submit to me in the way that this text is calling for, it is not your responsibility to make that happen. You trust God. You pray for God to, to maybe change her heart. But this is not for you to be the enforcer of this. Allow God to work in, in her heart. This is something she must do willing, willingly. This The bottom line is this, as, as wives, as your husbands lead uh, you are called to yield to that leadership. This is to be done with respect and with honor. So we see this in verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this isn't supposed to be done grudgingly or with an attitude. This is, this is something that is supposed to be a sign of your love and respect for your husband. So what does this look like? Let me, let me just kind of Get on the practical level. What, do, what does this look like? One, this means, submission means that you do not usurp authority or domineer. So, so there are kind of two different angles that, that you can kind of work against or disobey this command. One is just sort of the, the straightforward, getting angry and fighting and refusing to be loving and intimate until you get what you want. And so that's kind of the power play, right? I'm just going to go bold. I'm going to go strong. I'm going to get what I want. I'm not going to yield my will to his. No, he's going to yield his will to me. I'm going to be in charge here and I'm going to fight tooth and nail until that happens. That's like the, the kind of domineering way. Uh, and that's one way that you could disobey this. There, there's the second way, which is to kind of uh, seek to go the more deceptive route. I'm just going to keep this quiet. I'm going to play on the fact that men are often oblivious 
to things that are going on. I'm just going to play on that. I'm going to let him live in his own little world of ignorance over here. And I'm going to do quietly and secretly the things that I want to do, sort of usurping that authority. Both of those are wrong paths. Secondly, submission means this. It means that you're not overly critical. As as your husband leads, I, I emphasize overly critical because any good leader invites criticism, right? Husbands, you're called to lead, but but if you don't listen to your wife, if you don't hear her concerns, and and, and if you're not got an open ear and and very cautious when she says something, let me just say you're an idiot, right? You're you're, you're the Lord has given your wife to you. She's very intelligent. I cannot tell you the number of times where I've said, "Hey, this is, I think what we need to do," and my wife said, "Really?" And uh, she she has helped me see. Uh, that that probably is not the best way. And we have benefited. I have benefited. She has benefited because I was willing to listen to that. And so invite criticism, husbands, but, but wives, don't be overly critical. We probably have all maybe been in some place of authority where, where somebody under us in, in that role of authority have just constantly criticized us. Well, that was stupid. Well, I knew that was the wrong move. The minute you said that, I knew it was a terrible idea, right? And, and it just, it just throws water on the fire, so to speak. It, it, it's very defeating. It's hard to lead somebody who is constantly critical in that way. Not in a positive way. Not, not in a kind of let me challenge you in a, in a helpful way so that we can think through this and, and make the best possible choice. But just like whatever you do is wrong. Right. That's what I'm talking about here. And that's what we need to avoid. Don't constantly criticize. Nothing will put an end to your husband being the leader that God has called him to be uh, like you just constantly pointing out his failures and all of his wrong decisions. Your husband craves respect. Like, like this is one of the things that, that he craves. This is what sort of the, the gasoline in his engine is your respect. And when you are constantly acting like he's an idiot, like he doesn't know what he's doing, like that is just going to squash any desire in him. And, and then you're going to have what we have in our society today, which is not real great, right? In the past, we had some, some abusive and domineering husbands. And in our day, like we have passive husbands. This is the plight. And, and I recently read an article. This was a, a very liberal woman who was writing this and, 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 very much wanted kind of always thought she wanted sort of an egalitarian relationship. And, and she came to realize these guys are just weaklings. Like they, they, they don't have any strength. Like they won't do anything. There's, there's no drive. There's no vision in them. And that's because our society has emasculated men. Like you just need to be quiet. You need to sit down and you just need to not be in any kind of leadership. And we need to, push back against that, right? We don't want domineering men. We don't want abusive men, but we also don't want men who just sit and play video games or sit and fish or in a hunting blind all day and are totally unengaged from their family and are not leading. We need godly men who are leading in their homes and doing it as we're going to see next week. Wives, I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking to you this morning, but but husbands, we're going to see what we're called to do next week as we're called to lay down our lives and love our spouses as Christ loved the church. And so we need to, to keep this in mind. So it's, don't be overly critical. Thirdly, give your husband room 
to lead. Allow him to fulfill his God-given responsibility. If you always have an eye toward leading in this relationship, you will stifle that. You'll be too quick to step in and not give him the room to do that. Um, it's true, isn't it? That, that as I've just said, sometimes husbands are passive and they don't take on any role of, of leadership. And, and that's a problem. But wives, you need to seek to encourage them to do so. You don't need to just play on that and say, well, good. This is what I really want anyway, just to be sort of calling the shots here. So invite and encourage his leadership. Bring these things to his attention. When there are issues that need to be addressed, bring them to him and seek to encourage him to take a leadership role in your family. Ask for counsel. Seek discussion on major issues. Encourage him to speak into these areas. Affirm him when he does take the lead. Again, he loves respect, so affirm him. When you see him taking that lead in something, affirm that. Let me say this now. Submission, this kind of submission is focused on Christ. Now, you you saw this here where it says that wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And you may misunderstand that because it's easy to misunderstand that. So, So I'm supposed to treat my husband like a Lord, like he's the Lord, like he's a sovereign. So you get this picture of your husband kind of sitting on this throne and I'm supposed to submit to him as to the Lord, like he is the Lord. Uh, We need to know, one, when Paul uses the word Lord, so often he's referring to Christ. I think that's true here. But this is not saying that you should view your husband as Lord. That's not what he's calling us for. It isn't saying treat him like the Lord who sits on the throne, This isn't saying submit to him because of his authority, your husband's great authority and power and position. It's actually showing that your submission is not given, first of all, to your husband, but to the Lord. You submit to your husband because of the Lord. Not because your husband is who your husband is, but because of who the Lord is. Now, I want you to see... Quickly run through some quick, quick passages to see that that's really every time we're called to submit to authority. It's always with an eye on the Lord, not because of the worthiness of this authority that we're called to submit to, but because of the worthiness of our Lord. So you could see this on in chapter six when Paul talks to servants and masters. That'll be another thing that we'll talk about if you're reading this you're like man servants and masters yeah we'll, we'll get into that as well and we'll seek to deal with that uh, but but let's just look at this Roman or Ephesians 6 5 says bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart and then notice what he says here as you would Christ as you would Christ and then he goes on rendering service in verse 7 as to the Lord and not to man. In other words, he's saying, look, recognize servants that, that when you serve these masters, really you're serving Christ. So, so submit to them, not because they're great, not because they're wonderful, not because they're perfect, but because you're following Christ and you are submitting to Christ. And that's what we see here with the wives as well. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Not, not as if, that doesn't mean treat them like the Lord. It, it, it means Submit to them because you are submitted to the Lord. Romans 13 tells us to to be subject to the governing authorities. Why? Because there's no authority except from God. So we recognize the hand of God in this authority, and so we submit to it. 
First Peter uh, 2, Peter says the same thing. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Why do we submit? We submit because we're submitting to the Lord ultimately. We see this really in Paul. This isn't just a, a reason or a rationale for our submission in marriage. It's actually a rationale for everything that we do. So Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatever you do in word or de- deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So everything that we do, everything, when you work, the way you parent, the way you're a spouse, everything you should do should be reflective of of Christ and your relationship uh, when, with him. So when you think about submission, wives, do not picture your husband as a great, powerful king. You don't submit to him because of his power, because he's a fountain of wisdom. You don't submit to him because he's perfect or even good. Instead, as you think about submission, you often are going to be looking at a very weak man that you're submitting to, a man that is very imperfect, a man that is a sinner. You look at someone who is often selfish and who sometimes lacks wisdom. You view a man who occasionally uses his authority for his own self-interest. You see a man who sometimes leads you in ways that really are not the best. But behind that man that you are submitting to, you see Christ. And when you see Christ, you see one who is strong, one who does have all power. You see one who is wise. In fact, he's wisdom incarnate. You see one who has never sinned. You see one who uses his authority, not in a selfish, self-interested way, but who laid down his life for you. You see one who, though he may lead you through difficult paths, is always leading you for your good. And it's as you keep your eye on Christ that you are then enabled to to submit to this weak, sometimes unwise, sinful, selfish man. You do it not because of the worthiness of your husband, but because of the incomparable worth of Christ. Your submission to your husband is a demonstration of your submission to Christ ultimately. That's what you are called to do. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, as to Christ. Keep Christ as your focus. Now let me say this in closing. Nobody laughed. Uh, I I will try to run through this quickly. Let me just speak to the men finally. The, The great responsibility of leadership. Men to whom much is given, the Lord says, much is required. If you are in a place of leadership and you think that this is something that you you get to sort of make everything happen for you, that you get to use this for your own self-interest, listen, you are going to give an account to God. If you neglect your responsibility, uh, you will be held accountable. This means that the status of your marriage, that the parenting of your children, that the tenor and the life of, of your home, you are going to give an account for You're the leader. You're the one in charge. If you're a supervisor at one of these plants, right? If you're the manager and things fall apart under your watch, who do they come looking for? Right? They they may deal with 
uh, the individual workers, but the first place they come is who was the supervisor in charge? Who was the one running this operation? Who let these kinds of things happen? You are going to give an account to God for the way that you have led your family. If your children are not, if you're not leading them in the way of the Lord, if your, if your relationship, if your marriage is falling apart, if things are just crumbling at the foundation, God is going to come looking for you like he came looking for Adam. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam had failed to, to lead Eve well. And, and he allowed Eve to be tempted and to, then he joined her in this sin. And what does God do? God comes into the garden. He doesn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? Now, now he deals with Eve too. She's responsible for her sin. But the first thing that he does, he comes looking for the leader in this situation. Who let this happen? Who let down the guard? Who wasn't the leader they were supposed to be? God is going to hold you accountable men and we need to recognize that we need to take this very seriously if you use your authority in a way to oppress your wife God will bring justice on you the old testament is full of statements about God correcting oppression God hates oppression if you use this God-given authority to oppress your wife you will give an account to God. If you use your authority in self-interested ways, you will be held responsible. Your authority, any authority that you have anywhere is a stewardship that's given to you by God to be used for his glory and for the good of others, for the good of your wife. So you need to recognize that it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. If you use your leadership in a home in a self-serving ways, Uh, you're failing ultimately to be like Christ. Everything that we looked at last week about leadership and how leadership is actually a role of serving others, that applies all here. You are not using this power or this authority or this leadership role in self-serving ways to prop up yourself and to get what you want. You are to be using it to serve your children and your wife and those whom God has given to you. So this fundamentally redefines leadership, Christ does, in in every area, especially in in the area of marriage. Remember Luke 22, 26, it it will not be so with you. The Gentiles love to, they they love to lord it over people, but that's not going to be the way you use authority, Jesus says. Instead, the greatest among you will become the youngest in Luke and the leader as one who serves. Husbands, what you're called to is not domineering. You're called to use this role of leadership in serving your family. And it is a great service. So let me say a few areas that you can lead and bless your family, that you can serve your family, husbands. One is in spiritual matters. You should be taking the lead. Your wife should not be pleading with you and seeking to drag you to church. You should be leading the family in their relationship with the Lord, leading your children to be at church, teaching them throughout the week. That, that should be on you because you're the leader, right? If a supervisor at one of these plants says, I'm just, I'm just going to let the, the guys take care of it. They can make sure everything gets done. I'm just going to be hands off. Look, that guy's not going to last. Things are going to fall apart and they're going to be held accountable. You are responsible to lead in spiritual matters. And you need to step into that role. You need to lead in your relationship. You need to lead in the discipline of your children. 
Listen, the, the way that our children are crumbling and falling apart, it goes directly back. I mean, just look at the bullying that's going on. You, you look at the, 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 the sexual promiscuity. Uh, you, you look at all of the issues in our society. And in so many ways, they can be traced directly back to the fact that husbands and fathers are not leading in their families. They're just checking out. They're divorcing their wife or they're, they're, they're just totally passive in these roles and their children and, and, and the family is just falling apart you need to be leading in that you need to be leading in providing for your family this doesn't mean that you need to provide luxury but but you need to uh, provide for need and you need to steward well you need to provide direction and vision in your family wise as they do that you are called to submit to them let me say just one final word in closing this this morning uh, and that, that is this. Wives, if your husband is not leading, and that is the case sometimes, you have to step into those roles, right? There, there are many wives where the husband is not leading spiritually or in other ways in the family. You don't let that fall to the side. Step into that. Teach your children. Train them. And I'm so thankful that so many of you women and wives are, are doing those things. But let me just encourage you to do it in a way that is constantly inviting to him to step into that role. And we're going to continue to pray for you and for your spouse that God uh, would, would raise them up to a place of spiritual maturity. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We're grateful, Lord, for your word that provides clarity for us in a, in a lost world. Uh, we, we are thankful that we are not dependent upon the opinions and the, the latest philosophy, the, the latest ideas of what is right and wrong, but that you've given us your unchanging word that is true. God, I know that um, sometimes when we're in the midst of a culture that is attacking a particular truth of your word, it's so hard to see our way clear. But I pray that you'd give us clarity on this issue. And I pray that you'd actually help us to see that what Satan is doing is destroying something that's good. It's actually for our flourishing. It's good for our wives uh, to submit to their husband. It's good for our husbands to be leading in their families. And Lord, I just pray that you would, that you would make that more of a reality in our church and in, in the families that are here. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.